0: Good morning. morning. We're going to be studying this morning from that text in Luke chapter 22. Those first six verses. They're verses that tell about a plot. And if you have have been watching in the news these these past several days about the the terror plot in in Paris and and about uh, the the people who uh, broke into the newspaper and and killed some of the people there. And, And one of the comments was, well, this hasn't been the first plot. We've broken up other plots. And, and that's of great interest to us, that when someone is plotting, that, that the authorities are able to figure that out and stop it before, before it comes to fruition. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament was when Mordecai uh, overhears a plot. And, and he's not Esther's uncle. He's actually Esther's cousin. And he's sitting out and he hears the men, the bad guys, over uh, he overhears them speaking about plotting against the king and he foils that plot. And he's rewarded greatly uh, for saving the king's life. In Luke chapter 22, we see that Satan likes to plot. Satan is involved in plotting against Jesus and against his people. And I thought it was interesting as we talked about this morning about when Satan plots. And the kind of people that he looks for to include in his plotting. A large, majority, a large percentage of people don't even believe Satan exists. Uh, they, they believe in God and they believe in heaven, but, but no, there's no devil. There's no Satan. There's no evil like that in the world. But you know, the Bible speaks very plainly about Satan. The Bible uh, doesn't say, well, it doesn't speculate and say, well, well, we think Satan exists or there might be a devil. The Bible speaks clearly. In fact, in this same book, we'll be coming back to Luke chapter 22. But in, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, we, we read about the temptation of Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Did you know that word can mean, it can be used to mean the time when things are brought to crisis. An opportune time. A a time when things are in chaos. and, And so you see this idea in Scripture of Satan saying, well, I wasn't able to get him now. But I'll, I'll wait, I'll plot, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until a better time, until he's in crisis, until things are more difficult. We know that's how Satan works. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, would I forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Outwitted. Now, when someone's trying to outwit you, what are they doing? They're plotting, they're scheming, they're devising. What, what can I do to get you? How can I get you where I want you? And Satan and, and Paul says that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. What does it mean to be not ignorant? To, to not be in the dark, to not be caught unaware. What Satan does, we know. Because the Bible tells us how he works. The Bible tells us in Revelation that not only does he plot and plan against the people of God. But it gives us this motive. Revelation chapter 12. And verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath. What's he so upset about? What is this plotter and this planner so angry about? The Bible says because he knows that his time is short. He doesn't, he doesn't have unlimited time to plot against us. He knows his time is short. He knows he doesn't have forever to plot against the people of God. So instead of scratching your head and saying, I wonder if there is a devil, I wonder if Satan exists, you have to decide, do you believe what the Bible says, that Satan is active and plotting and planning? But this morning in Luke chapter 22, if you want to turn back there, we're going to look and see three kinds of people that Satan involves in his plots. It's like any, any evil mastermind, he doesn't work alone. He, he, he plots and he plans, and he uses mankind to carry out his plots against the people of God. What kind of people does he look for? We're going to see this morning from these passages that he looks for the fearful, the insider and the greedy. We see in, in Luke chapter 22, we see in those first verses that he seeks the fearful. The Bible says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. And then it gives us their motive. For they feared the people. And then if you look down in verse 6, speaking of Judas, He consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. These guys were great cowards. Those, those who plotted against Jesus that Satan used in this plot, they were great cowards. They never wanted to confront him when his followers were around. They always wanted to wait. They were the backstabbers, those who would wait until nobody was looking. Now, why would you seek a coward to be involved in your plot? If you devise evil against someone, why would you look for cowards? Because cowards are easy to manipulate and intimidate, aren't they? Sometimes you'll see in a movie or in a book or something and and the guy will get caught or even in real life and they'll say, why did you do it? You knew it was bad. Why would you go along with him? And they'll say, I had to or he would have killed me. I, I had to or he threatened to kill my family. And we see that plot device over and over that a person does what's wrong because the evil man threatens to kill his family. And they say, I had to do it. You know, it was interesting, they interviewed one of the men from this French newspaper that that was threatened where the terrorist attack was. And one of the men that was killed, they said he used to say, I would rather die standing up than on my knees. Now, wouldn't it be sad if in the realm of courage, the church stood behind a French newspaper? Would we not rather die standing than on our knees? If Satan wants to use us in his plot, if he wants to use the fearful, should we say, but but Lord, I had to go along with him because otherwise I'd have lost my job. I would have lost my family, my companionship. Father, I would have lost my friends. It's easy to use a coward. All you have to do is intimidate them. Satan looks for cowards. The Bible tells us all through the book of John chapter 12. We see the cowardice of His followers, the cowardice of His plotters. John chapter 12. When Jesus spoke in the synagogue, in John chapter 12 and verse 42 it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. That's good news, isn't it? That these authorities believed in Him when they heard Jesus speak? The Bible says, But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Oh, we we believe you, all right, but we're afraid. Satan's more than happy to use the cowards. The Bible says, for they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. They were afraid to lose that which they could not hold on to. They were afraid to lose the temporary and embrace the eternal. And if you're willing to do that, Satan is more than willing to include you in his plan. Well, I'm afraid to, to lose my reputation. I'm afraid to lose my job. I'm afraid to lose my influence. I'm afraid to lose my money. I, whatever you're afraid to lose, Satan is okay. doesn't matter what you're afraid to lose as long as you're afraid. They love the glory that comes from men. They didn't want to lose it. They were afraid of losing it. They would not confess Him. And those words of Jesus ring out, He who confesses me before men, I'll confess before the Father. He who denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. Even His own disciples a little bit later in the book in John chapter 20 and verse 19. Jesus had a plan for His disciples. When He departed, what was the plan? Go into all the world. Making disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Go! Go into the world. And we get to John chapter 20 and verse 19 and where are they? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. It's hard to reach the world when your doors are locked against them. But the doors were locked where the disciples were. Why? We got motive again. Do you see it? For fear of the Jews. Those guys out there are bad. Those guys out there are going to threaten us. Look what they did to our leader. Look what they did to Jesus. What are they going to do to us? Where's all the bravado now? Where's Peter saying, Hey, even if I have to die for you, why is Peter not unlocking that door? Because Satan is more than happy to use fear to keep us inside Even though He told them very clearly. He's going to tell them later to go. Before He leaves this world, He's going to remind them. But what does He tell them here? Jesus came and stood among them and He said what? Peace. Peace be with you. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. Not I might, not I'm thinking about sending you, not I'm sending those of you who are courageous, but look, peace, because I'm sending you. I am sending you out where? Out there. Where those people are who are going to kill you or imprison you or persecute you. Satan would love for us to be a people of fear. He uses that. He plots and uses the fearful. Unfortunately, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 3, he takes these uh, chief priests and scribes who are afraid of the people. And in his plot, he also seeks the insider, the traitor, the person that we call the mole. The mole is always the hero of the movie, isn't he? No, he's always the guy who's despised. The mole is the person that nobody likes, that that, that doesn't endear himself to to the bad guys or the good guys. He's usually the guy that gets killed. And nobody misses it. Nobody loves the traitor. Nobody loves the Benedict Arnold. They look for the guy with access to the network, to the vault, to the combination. Someone on the inside who is willing to give up his brethren. Someone who's willing to turn on the company. Someone who's willing to betray the last people they ought to betray. To bite the hand that feeds them. Look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verses 29 and 30. Paul called the elders in Ephesus together. And he gave them a heads up. He said, I know, not I think, not perhaps. Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's a pretty graphic. If you ever seen a wolf eat a sheep, or attack an animal, he says, I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. I know this. Where will they come from? Out there? So is it, is it only those out there? Look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men. From inside your own family. From among your yourselves, own selves will arise men. What will they do? Speaking twisted things. not truthful things, twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. to draw away, to carry away from God, fierce wolves among you. You know what the difficulty is? Jesus warned about the same thing, and in the book of Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven and verse 15, Jesus has already warned about this, those who would speak falsely. He said, "Beware of false prophets." They're, they're the wolves, but do you know what's dangerous? They're those wily coyote kind of wolves. What do they have draped on their shoulders? What are they wearing? Not physically, but spiritually, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How do you know? How do you know? It looks like sheep. If you're in a group of sheep, if you're in a flock of sheep and there's sheep, and someone comes up and says, hey, there are wolves in the flock. How do you know? Jesus said, you'll recognize them. Well, tell me. Because I don't want my sheep to get eaten. Elders don't want their sheep to get eaten. How do you recognize? You'll know them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What kind of fruit did Judas produce? Good fruit? Here, Jesus, Judas, watch the money box for us. I think I will. Bible said he was a thief. When Jesus' feet are being anointed, He's saying, well, we could have have taken that perfume and sold it and given it to the poor. Bible says Jesus didn't care about the poor. Judas cared about Judas. Judas cared about Judas. He was an insider. He was on the inside. He was in the the inner circle of Jesus. He was among the twelve. And so... Satan understands that's who you need. You know a guy who's worked there for 20 years who knows the password for the network. You need the friend of the Christian because the Christian won't see him coming. You, you need the, the elder. You need the preacher. You need the deacon. You need the Bible class teacher because they're inside and no one sees them coming. That never happens in the, in the, in the church, does it? Paul says be on the alert. Be aware. In fact, when we talk about in our, in our brotherhood, how many congregations in the brotherhood don't have shepherds? Amen. Half. Half of the, brother, of the churches in the brotherhood don't have elders. You know what one of the purposes of elders is? The Bible says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, when it talks about elders, Paul tells Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Titus, I left you there in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. So we see that a church that is in order has elders, has shepherds. He says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. How many towns? Every town. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine." So he's got two responsibilities. He's this kind of person. Because the shepherd of God not only has to teach, but what else does your Bible say? And also to rebuke those who contradict that thing he's teaching. So shepherd not only has to know God's Word and hold on to it to teach, but also rebuke those who are going against that Word. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching. What's their, what's their motive? For shameful gain. So we see as we get to this third thing about, we see that Satan will use the fearful, he will use the insider, but he's also looking for the greedy. You see the greed in there, that those who would do things for, for shameful gain. If we go back to our text in Luke chapter 22, we see the fearful, we see the insider, but now we see the part that greed pays in it. The Bible says in verse 3, Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He's an insider. Verse 4 says, He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. Here's the negotiating phase. Hey, we've got the same thing in mind. I'll go to you. You, know, you want what I want. And here's what I want. The Bible says, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. Now what does that imply? I'll do it for this. Okay, we can do that. We can do 30 pieces of silver. We can handle that. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. You know, we have a saying in English, everyone has a price. I hate that saying. Everyone has a price. I've heard that all my life. Everyone has a price. You can bargain with people for dollars or power or influence. You know, I tried to um, apply for a job in OSI. And uh, I got through the first couple of rounds, and I got to a round, and they said, Now, do you have any loans? I said, Oh, yeah, I got a lot of loans, a lot of school debt. And they closed my application and said, We're done. Well, uh, what do you mean, we're done? Do you know why? You know why. They said, you're a, you're, you're a, a, a bribery risk. You're a, you know, if you have all this school debt and someone comes and offers to pay off all that debt, you're a risk to reveal these secrets. You're a risk to turn. I wouldn't do that. Didn't matter what I said. The idea is here, everybody's got a price. And the more you owe, the more of a risk you are to turn for that price. Well, what if it's not people who are in debt? What if it's people who are just greedy? I tell you what, if I know that you're greedy, if I know that you're money hungry, I've got you. I know you'll do things for money. I know you'll do... If someone is so hungry for money and so greedy for money, did Satan have a hard time finding people who were greedy? The Bible says in Luke 16, 14, the Pharisees, when, when Jesus taught about money, it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things... And they ridiculed Him. And He said to them, you, who are, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. There's that human glory again. Jesus knew their hearts. I, I know I know you're greedy. I know why you're opposing Me. I know why you've put yourself in Satan's hands. It's because you care more about money than anything else. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 1, 18 and 19, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So as we close this morning, I want you to think about this. Here's here's Satan's recruiting list. I need people who are afraid because they can be easily intimidated they they can be paralyzed by fear they won't go out and take a risk they won't bring me up in conversation they won't take a chance to do something for the kingdom Satan says i'll take them i'll take the fearful ones what does god say give me the courageous ones paul says we are not among those who shrink back satan says "I'll, i'll take the cowardly god says i'll take the courageous Satan says, okay, I'll take the traitors. I'll take the men and women who will stab their brethren and their sisters in the back. I'll take the ones who you can't count on. I'll take those who are unfaithful friends. I'll take the hypocrites, the actors, the hypocrites. God says, I'll take those who are sincere. I'll take those who love without hypocrisy. I'll take those who are faithful brethren. Satan says, I'll take the pretenders. I'll take the traitors. God says, I'll take the faithful. Satan says, give me the greedy. Give me the greedy, the lovers of money, those who can be manipulated, the materialistic. Because then they won't worry about treasure in heaven, they'll worry about treasure in the bank. They'll worry about a mattress full of bills. They'll worry about their cars and their houses and their jobs. Give me those because they will be easily distracted and they won't worry about the life to come. And God says, give me those who are willing to sacrifice now to lay up treasure in heaven. Give me those who realize that material possessions are not everything. Give me those who do not love the world or the things in the world. For the world and its lust are passing away. I'll take the non-materialistic. I'll take the spiritually minded. And Satan says, give me the greedy and the materialistic. Give me the fearful. Give me the traitor. And you know what the Bible teaches? Both God and Satan get exactly who they want. Who gets your life? Who gets you? Are you courageous? Are you loyal? Are you an unhypocritical friend? Are you greedy? Are you selfish? Or do you open your hand freely to those who need help? You know, God doesn't just reach down and flick us to one side or the other and separate us. But one day His Son will. Right? Matthew 25. All the nations we be gathered before the great white throne and He will separate them as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. But do you know whose call it is before that day? Do you know who decides that loyalty now? That's you and me. We sing a song with the kids, tell me whose side are you living on? Shouldn't be a question this morning. It's a very big difference, isn't it? It's very black and white. It's two very different types of people. And Satan needs his disciples, and God needs his disciples. So I'm asking you this morning, whose side are you on? And if you say, well, I'm a pretty good person, so I guess I'm on God's side, that's not how that works. The Bible says we not only have to believe in God, Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me in John 14. In the book of Mark, He said, believe and repent for the kingdom is at hand. You need to change your mind, change your ways. And before He left, He said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. There are great promises made in the book of Acts in chapter 2 promises to you and to all those who are far off when they wanted to know what to do what do i do how do i get from this loyalty to that loyalty the bible tells us repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins every one of you and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit And this promise is to you and to all those who are far off. And what did the people do? Nah. I don't want to change sides. I don't want to change loyalties. I don't want to change my eternal future. What did they do? They did exactly what they were told. They were baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. On that day of judgment, it will not matter what you owned or what you drove or where you worked or what you had. What will matter on that day is one thing and one thing only. Whose side are you on? And you can't get to the right side because you're good. And you can't get to the right side because you're correct and you can't get to the right side because you're smart. You can't get to the right side because you're nice or because you're generous. What did Morris say? from God's Word, Scripture after Scripture, you only get there by the blood. Only by the blood of Christ. Not through any man, not through any prayer, not through any mind of man or thought of man, only through Jesus Christ. So come on over. Come to the right side. It's beautiful. And it's going to get better. If you need to respond this morning, you need to be on the side of Christ. We ask you to come while we stand and sing.